welcome to a novel evening. I'm Danny, and this is the podcast where I chat with fellow book lovers all about their perfect fictional night. And for this episode, I'm joined by the amazing Tina Baker. Uh, she is the author of Call Me Mummy, which you've probably seen all over Instagram. And her second novel, Nasty Little Cuts, was released in February. And again, has just taken Instagram by storm. Uh, she is the queen of the thriller um and i'm very very excited to be chatting with her um i'm also super excited because i'm also going to meet her at the book party i cannot wait um she is just absolute joy and i'm very very excited to hear all about her novel evening so a massive hello to tina hello hello i'm just going to press the thing i've got it because it, you know, it says to you, yeah, we're recording. It's like, well, that's the whole point. But then I don't like technology nagging me. So no. I said, yes, thank you. Now go away. Just so the technology, it. not you, Danny. <laughs> You're looking super glamorous tonight as well. You've got your little off the shoulder number. I've got me off the shoulder number. Actually, if I, if I sit like that, it just looks like I'm on OnlyFans. <laughs> I'm not, but I might be, I have to resort to that because the cat bills. Yeah, bill. literally. If, if the bills keep, I think everyone's going to be on OnlyFans at this rate. <laughs> just have toast in the morning, let alone like that. I'm just going to be in the back garden with a tin of like fire making my breakfast. I know. I might resort to the cat food because actually they all eat better than me and Jeff do. I love that. I love that. <laughs> Thank you so, so much for joining me. This is just, this is brilliant. I'm so excited to chat with you. I'm delighted and I don't get out much. I know that sounds sad, but I sort of lost it over lockdown. And I'm one of the, I had to shield because I'm very old and I've got asthma. And it's taken me a lot longer. Like I can make myself go out to work because I have to. I can make myself go to a literary festival because it's work. Yeah. But social life, I have done so little, so little um so yeah i'm just getting there little bit by little bit so it feels like a real treat for me to put nail varnish on which i always do for zoom and all my makeups is about three layers of this uh and just get dressed up for a saturday night because i've not been out on a saturday night for literally years so oh, it's i love that i love that but you are going to be at the book party you're going to be joining I am really looking forward to that. So um, if you don't know what the book party is, I think it's genius actually, because all my social life has been online for two years. And also because I'm a new writer, I've not met that many yeah. bloggers and authors because there's not been huge events. I've been to two festivals. Oh, is that one of your dogs? <laughs> it's unfortunately not one of my dogs. It's one of my uh... neighbor's dogs. My dog is being unusually quiet. <laughs> You see, all my cats are being suspiciously quiet because I thought, um, because my littlest has just had an operation and he's only just started going out after he had his hip mended, uh, they'll be coming and going as they, because I couldn't like lock him in after he's had yeah. a- Yeah, oh bless him, like, don't worry. I'm don't hiding in the attic. <laughs> so they will be at some point chasing pigeons or bats or something. I literally, I hide in my attic to record away from my children and my dog and my husband. Yeah. I wish I had an attic, but I'm in a ground floor flat, so there's literally no escape. But my husband runs a pub, so he's never here on a Saturday night. Um, it's his busiest night. So, um, yeah, it's a bit echoey in my room because I can't afford carpet because <laughs> I've got four cats. 
And there's no point having carpets. There's literally cats. not. Cats are the worst. Literally none. So it's um, it's got bare floor, so it's always a bit echoey. So it you might hear it's... some little some little footprints. But yeah. yeah, so the book party is going to be amazing. It's basically bookstagrammers, book bloggers, all coming together with authors to basically yeah. have a party. Yeah, it's just I don't really think that's been done quite like that. So. Um, at festivals, you know, you'll be on a panel. I'm saying this because I've done a whole two. Uh, so I, I was at Bristol a couple of weeks ago for Crime Fest. Oh, you that looks so panel, good. And then you might go out with your team or something, or, you know, there might be sort of a dinner or a party or something. But I'm, you know, I've just not had that really. Uh, so I'm looking forward to it. I'll be dead nervous. I think everybody's going to be dead nervous. I think we should have big name tags, you know, like Dame Edna Everett used yeah. Because I am terrified of, of like making a huge faux pas, you know, that, that it's somebody who I love their work and I won't recognise them because nobody looks like they do on Twitter. You know, all the filters, all the makeups, nobody looks like they're doing their author photo when it's a good day. Nobody's going to pick an author photo when, you know, it's usually me with the bags under my eyes and the heart, you know, the hair like a haystack. Yeah. You're not going to do that, are you? So to be nice to sort of, this is what I'm like in real life. Or perhaps we could wear our author photos. What you look like. <laughs> what, what you really look like and what you pretend you look like with good lighting. Oh, I think, I, I have a feeling there'll be badges. I think that they are pretty organised. I think we'll have a badge, probably. We'll badge. We can make our own. We can make Yeah, yeah. Own. I'm going to make a big glittery one and then everyone will know it's me. <laughs> but obviously, the reason you're going to be at the book party is because you are a novelist. You have written not one, but two books. It's really weird because it's taken me a very long time. Years ago, when I had a new passport, I put journalist writer i never had the courage to just put writer um it's it's weird I, I mean now i've got two jobs so my day job is a fitness instructor personal trainer you know i teach classes in the gym that's what i've been doing this morning and that's one of the reasons i sound so husky because i shout for a living and it's such the opposite of writing because writing obviously i'm very quiet i don't even have music on when i'm writing wow. i do if i'm editing sometimes but usually it's dead quiet i'm in my brain i'm sitting risking deep vein thrombosis and moving and jumping up and down and making other people jump up and down and shouting is the thing that sort of keeps me well oxygenates my brain really yeah so i've been a journalist for many many years decades but it's only in the last four years i've started writing so the two books that have been published on my shrine um which uh because i can't afford the heating on uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's on top of my radiator uh, with my fake candles because you can't have real flames near your books because that would be awful. And we sacrifice people there on a regular okay. basis. Human sacrifices, praying to the gods of sales. So yeah, Call Me Mummy came out. So I've waited all my life for this. No bookshops open, sobbing yeah. aerobically. But I think it worked in my favour because it became a number one on... I think it's called ebook. So Kindle's the only one I know about, but Apple and stuff like that. So it was the number one bestseller. Wow. And that feels weird. And then Nasty Little Cuts, 
the, the it's in hardback and audio and Kindle at the minute, that came out on the day Russia invaded the Ukraine. And it was just like, again, aerobic sobbing, thinking, what's the point, really, of yeah. nothing I do in this awful broken world. And I've given my third one in to be to be looked at by the publisher, and that's out next February. Wow. Um, so we should expect something pretty apocalyptic to happen around about February then. Yes, I'm, I'm now a bit nervous. And then I've just started on the fourth one. So I've got like two, two book deals. Incredible. So and then who knows, really? And then there's a book I wrote on my MA, which is not quite crime enough, I don't think, for mm -hmm. Viper, who are my publisher. So I might go more literary with that. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, for the last four or five years, that's been pretty much every spare night oh, cool. I've what got. is it that draws you to the darker side of writing because your novels are pretty dark it's like you know I, I sort of think people are quite disappointed when they meet me because this is me very colorful you know I uh I chuck and I write like a six six foot goth you know multi-pierced all in black uh very pale and interesting and I, I'm not 100% sure. So they all say your first book is quite a sort of catharsis, you know, autobiographical. And it definitely was for me because um, we'd tried IVF and stuff and it didn't work. Desperate to get pregnant. But I met my husband too late in life and we sort of knew it was, you know, a long shot. But, you know, it still doesn't stop the grieving. So... Yeah. On my MA, one of the little things they suggested is go somewhere where you've never been before. And I went to mother care. All my friends were like going to strip clubs and stuff like that. Well, I've done that. Uh, so I went to mother care because I find it really painful. And I cried so much I gave myself an asthma attack because oh. it was just like brings it. You know, I still have wobbles, but not like overwhelming all the time now. Um, it's it's weird really because I thought uh, in the middle of that grieving one your hormones are all over the place because you've yeah. been pumped full of drugs and then you know writhing on the bathroom floor I mean it was just horrible uh, and it didn't work so I did think what if just leaning into that when I felt my most desperate what if you just took a child you snapped and you just took a child so that's where call me mummy was so it's not autobiographical because there is not a child hidden in my flat and then the the second one was I've always had a bad time at Christmas because I've had some horrible things happen you know ended up in hospital big car crash huge row with my mother who tried to wow. stab me one Christmas that wasn't good uh husband number one left me at Christmas um husband number three left me at Christmas then he came back, so that was all right. But he came back around Christmas. Mum died around then, my dad died. You know, there's been a list yes. of horrible things. Even my cat was had to be put to sleep with my cats on Christmas Eve. So it's just like if you've had a bit of a, a rough time around that time, there's so much expectation. So again, it's quite autobiographical, but not quite like that because it is fiction. It's a fight. And I have had physical fights with partners. I have been in abusive relationships, but I made her a personal trainer so she was fit and I gave him a bad back. So around this fight, it's everything that made them who they are and all those fractures in their psyches. 
And what would it take for two people to literally snap and what could happen? So it's a fight to the death just before Christmas, which is ever so jolly. But there are funny bits in both books because I feel as a journalist, dark humour, gallows humour has kept me sane because I've had to report on some horrible things. So even though I write very dark, there's, I think, I mean, everybody's sense of humour is different, but I think there's a lot of humour. Like my favourite character in the new one is Get Down Lulu. And she's the dog, so you get a little bit from the dog's point of view, because when there's a toxic relationship, the children and the dog know. I spent a lot of my childhood hiding under the table with our dog, as my mum and dad knocked seven bells out of each other. You know, I know what that's like. And the animals and children, you're always like that, hyper-vigilant for it to crack off and terrified. So Get Down Lulu was based on a real dog. She was a great Dane who'd try and sit on your lap. And she was the size of a Shetland pony. So it was just like, get down, get down. And, you know, dogs sometimes think their names are Get Down Lulu. So, yeah, I think that's my saving grace. Um, I think some of the horrible things that's happened, and I've been very lucky in my life, loads of good things have happened, but the dark things that happen are in my book. The one I've just given in is about a domestic cleaner was my job growing up, was my dad's job, he was the window cleaner, was my mum's job, she cleaned floors, we cleaned the floors of Tesco's, shops, all of that. And we know from the news this week that the government treats cleaners like a piece of dirt on their Mm -hmm. shoe. That was one of the things in the Sue Gray report. So it's just like from her point of view, and it's a bit like Breaking Bad with Mr Sheen. So there may be there may be murders. I'm not going to reveal everything because it's not out yet. And also it might change in the edit. But that yeah. that's this one uh, that, that I've just given wow. fingers crossed. Oh, I love that. And you kind of going back to what you said about gallows humour. I think that's yeah. a very British thing. Actually, when we write something dark, quite often we will have some humour in there. And it's so interesting to have something so dark and such strong you know taboo subjects and still find some humor in it yeah and also it's a very northern midlands working class thing because you know i mean i grew up in a caravan there's a lot of bullying you know my mum was fair ground i love i love that you're necking from the bottle there Uh, it is a cider i feel like that's allowed right yeah, I think it's loud. But yeah, my dad, um, his background, you know, he sort of didn't have a dad. His dad died really young and stuff. But, you know, he was a larger than life character and his language was appalling. It was effing and blinding. But it was always really funny. And um, even though I'm not a huge fan of Ricky Gervais, you know, he says it's it's your version of a hug in certain communities. It's been really rude and effing and jeffing. And I get that, you know, it's quite, it was quite a macho culture I grew up in. And if you're rude to somebody, you know, you like them. You, you know, if you're very polite to somebody, and interestingly, my husband's from Cornwall, and it's the same there as well. It's very much but, the same in Devon. I'm, I'm from yeah, Devon. It's and funny, it's similar. You, you just sort of think your community are where the ones who, who, who did it. But yeah, I, I do think it might be more um, British, Uh, I certainly think it's a class thing of of how I was brought up, making fun of people, making fun of yourself before other people do make fun of you. 
and it lightens i can remember god rest her soul mother Teresa died um quite soon after princess diana and yeah. somebody in the bbc newsroom started singing sandals in the wind literally within 10 minutes of the announcement and i was saying no too soon too soon you know after candle in the wind of princess yeah, diana. Yeah. and it's it's awful in one way but it's like you know it, it it's just a, a knee-jerk reaction i think it's a human thing it's like laughing in church or laughing at funerals so like at my dad's funeral i had a stick on beard because my dad had, had a beard and we just had a whip round you know for cancer and and you know i gave the eulogy and a stick on beard because he would have loved that yeah so yeah i i i, I love a laugh yeah and i think as a nation i think as a country We've been through a lot as a country, and I think our go-to has always been to find some fun in it and make fun of ourselves. And like, I love my husband, he's great, but I will call him an asshole, and I'll call him that, and that's my way of affectionately, you know, I love him. Whereas with people that I'm not as keen on, I'd be more formal. So I get what you mean. I think it's it's universal, but I definitely think they say it's very much a class thing as well. I sometimes say when we're out, you can't say that when we're out because people won't get it. You know what I mean? What you yeah. say in private, you know, because our, our language, when I'm not editing, I'm quite good at editing because I've done a lot of telly and radio that was yeah, of course. Even though my natural, um, you know, my natural language, particularly with my husband and my cats, uh, involves quite a bit of swearing. And interestingly, when you write in crime, people aren't as keen on swearing, ah. sex, or any harm to animals. Well, you know, spoiler alert, I would never really hurt an animal. I just don't yeah. want to write that. I don't want to be around that. But there are animals perhaps in peril who reflect things. Mm-hmm. Um, the language has been edited. And I didn't really get that because I'm saying, well, Irvin Welsh writes that. You know, Douglas Stewart, Shuggy Bain, Booker Prize winner, you know, writes that. But there's something different in saying it in in a safe context and it's different if you read it if it's bam 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 you lose the effect of it and and it was only when i saw it through other people's eyes i think i was uh, i was doing a read along the first thing i'd done with call me mummy and loads of the people it was the pigeon hq which is the thing that you can sign up to and read along with the author i didn't know it was a thing but it's a thing and like people were sort of almost feeling punch drunk with some of the language. So I think now I sort of perhaps learn and self-edit a little bit. And also, yeah. the more, I didn't read very much crime, is the truth, before I fell into it, I fell into the life of crime. Um, and then you're reading things and it's sort of, yeah, you, you can be a serial killer, but there's not really a lot of swearing, which is interesting, yeah. stuff that I've learned along the way. And it wasn't that I intended to be a crime writer. It just happened. It just happened that way. I'm very intrigued now. So some people come on and I can kind of guess what the vibe of their novel evening is going to be. I'm going to be honest. I have no idea what yours is going to involve at all. I can't guess. I have no clue. Um, And I'm really intrigued to find out what, what we're going to be doing for your novel evening. So the first thing obviously need to know is where are we going to go? Well, I was thinking about going somewhere like exotic and like on the moon or, you know, because it's like you can yeah. make this up. We've got imaginations. But no, because I've not been anywhere. 
Uh, I want to go somewhere real, like somewhere beautiful overlooking a beach in Cornwall. So um, I am lucky enough to have been to Jamie Oliver's place that used to overlook Watergate Bay in Cornwall, yes. this huge, great bay. Or somewhere like, I've not been to the Minnick Theatre. I don't even know if you say it, if that's how you pronounce it. There's a lot of words when you read a lot and you've not used them in real life that you're not quite sure how you pronounce yeah. Is it the Minnick? Is it the Minnick Theatre? Yeah. yeah. Which is like a stacked theatre overlooking again the sea. And I've never been, I quite like that. But with comfy cushions yeah. on a beautiful, warm night. So again, I can affect the weather because yeah. this conversation, me and Danny are the goddesses. We are. And you wouldn't go there if it's raining. No, you wouldn't. Not one. It's raining a lot, this neck of the woods. <laughs> we don't get that much sun. Okay, I like this. I like the vibe. So are we having like a dinner or are we all just kind of having Yes, I, I do think a, a sort of dinner party vibe. Now, here's another thing. Uh, you wouldn't know from chatting like this because I'm in my own home. I'm very confident in my own home. I'm quite socially anxious. So um, I probably wouldn't eat very much. I'd probably be talking more. But other people, I think, can have dinner parties. Because I never had a dinner party until I was about, you know, 30. Because it wasn't a thing. We never had even a dinner together because my dad would be working, cleaning yeah. the windows, and then he'd have his tea. And he'd go out banding because he played in a band. Yeah. At night, he did the two jobs. And then he'd probably come in when we were in bed. And me and my brother would have our tea or, you know, our school dinner. And, you know, we never sat down as a family because we lived in a caravan and there wasn't a table. It, it literally took me years to sort of think of this. And even when we moved to the house, it just didn't happen. Didn't do it, yeah. Uh, so a dinner party, you know, even with close friends, one, I've not done it for the last two years, and I think it would be a dinner party vibe with a big table, but it would be more like a salon. Okay, quite relaxed. It's a relaxed. And you could have nibbles rather than a three-course meal. So there'd be lots of food and drink, but I probably wouldn't eat. And also, I've had to give up alcohol because of the behaviours. So it doesn't suit me. Um, I really had a problem with it, you know, um, as a journalist. It was so much part of the culture. Yeah, of course. That's Um, part of, you know, yeah, the social scene is is huge. And no, I just, I just can't do it anymore. So I don't drink alcohol, but I'm still the good time had by all. Um, alcohol is a depressant, you know, for me, I just get really, can you hear in the background is the sound of a cat destroying my sofa. Yes, I can hear it. Stop it, you little sod. Uh, but yeah, so um, we'd have a drink for the people who drank, but I wouldn't. So it feels a bit weird, but, you know, I'd be chatting and perhaps nibbling, but I might have, you know, uh, I might go mad and have a non-alcoholic cocktail, but really I'd probably have a cup of tea. See, my friend, she doesn't drink um, and she has taught me that pretty much any drink on a menu can be made non-alcoholic. So... A cup of tea. A mojito girl. So you can perhaps do that, can't you? Mojitos. And um, yeah, you know, I don't like non-alcoholic beers, I have to say. I had some horrible uh, non-alcoholic cider when I was at the festival. Don't like that. Yeah, when I was pregnant, that was my my go-to on like a hot day. I was pregnant both times during the summer. Um, 
and I'd be like, oh, I just want a cold cider. And I used to have the non-alcoholic ones. I was like, this is basically fruit juice. What am I yeah. doing? <laughs> yeah, but, so some of them don't work. So yeah, I might be having a nice hot cup of tea. Lovely. Okay. That's so we're set up. Yeah, we're set up in our amphitheater overlooking the sea. We've got our little cushions. We're all comfy. Who's going to come first? Well, I thought I'd have at least one big literary name just, you know, to make me sound intelligent. So when I was watching Eurovision by myself on Saturday night, which was the most uplifting thing I've probably done. Oh, I was so into it. (laughs) It was the best Eurovision ever. Douglas Stewart, writer of Young Mungo and Shuggy Bane, was on on Twitter and we were just tweeting. So we follow each other and it just, I followed him before he won the booker, before the book came out because I'd heard a buzz about it. Mm -hmm. And because I love working class writers, um, I knew it would be my sort of thing, but I wasn't quite prepared for how emotional it was going to be. And there's something about him I've listen to him being interviewed i just think he's lovely he's quite laid back he's funny and there was a whole phase when i worked at tvam and gmtv that i probably didn't have one straight male friend so um you know i just know i mean like eurovision and just being online i love the online community like marion keys and and people were like tweeting and i just felt on my own, on my sofa with a cat on my lap, part of something bigger. So I'm quite lucky, I think, that I've got the technology to do Instagram and Zoom and Twitter. So I'd love to meet him in real life, because as I say, I've I've seen him interviewed. He's from a similar background to me, even though I'm not Scottish, can you tell? But yeah, he he comes from a, you, you know, sort of very working class community that was devastated by Thatcher. I'm from a mining town called Colville that doesn't have one working mine. And like Corby and like, Scot- you know, Scotland, we had Scottish miners come down. And, you know, they're all made redundant. They all use redundancy money. And there's so much, you know, I mean, it, it, it just the whole community had to change. A lot of the women had the jobs in the factories and the men didn't. And it wasn't... It, it, it just made me feel that he knows about so much of my background. There's just like one line, which is like coming from the sort of community I, I came from. My brother and my dad were quite tall men. And in a very macho working class community, some guys will get drunk and have a pop at somebody just because they're yeah. tall. It's a weird thing to sort of say because you think, what? But they will. And my dad, you know, boxed in the army. So, you know, he wouldn't necessarily, um, unless there were more than one of them, he he could hold his own. But like my brother was huge. I mean, he was about 30 stone at one stage. I mean, he's lost a lot of weight now. Six foot two and a mad Leicester City supporter. And and people would attack him to get his colours, like his scarf. So it was just like somebody knowing that background who's then gone into the creative worlds. You know, and it it still makes me feel embarrassed from my background saying, oh, I'm a creative person, I'm a novelist, I'm a writer. It feels like I'm cheating. I, I can't quite explain it, but people from my background, it's like you've got to earn a living. Yeah. I was told by my dad, I was told by quite a few teachers not to bother doing English, but to do sciences because I was at one stage, you know, I did science A-levels. 
I gave up English at A level because so oh, you're what, what sort of job? What job are you going to do with that? Yeah. What are you going to do with that? And it, and that's one of the reasons it's taken me so long to go and say hello. That's Pinky. Oh look, she's a bit plump. Bless her. Just let herself go. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, to to actually be a novelist, it's it still feel. I mean, you know, I'm getting used to it. Is the truth. Yeah, and I think you and he would have some really interesting conversations. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I love that. I love that reasoning. Okay, so he's going to arrive. We're going to get him in his cushion. Who's going to come next? RuPaul. Mama Ru. Oh, my God. Obsessed. I think I've watched every season that I can get legally. I'm still trying to find a way to get the one I can't. Yep, same. <laughs> if you find that um, way, please let me know. But it's been an, a complete affirmation. And I, I've i always sort of identified with drag queens. I feel, you know, I mean, this is my form of drag because underneath it, I feel quite shy unless I've got my slap on, mm-hmm. unless I've got my bright colours on. And there's something quite affirming of, you know, th- that... I mean, it's just so inclusive now as well. And I love just looking. It's just been a moment of joy. Now, RuPaul is an author. Uh, It's a stretch. But I I met him once in real life. And it is, that's the first thing. It's it's like I was 20-something and it was like my very early days at TVAM before he was really known at all over here. And it's like... Oh my God, you're beautiful and so tall, so tall, because he's tall anyway and the heels. And it was like meeting a unicorn in real life. And it was like, I've also met Dolly Parton in real life, in the corridors. And again, the opposite, tiny, tiny. I've heard that she's really dinky. Beautiful doll. So I probably have Dolly and Rue. And Dolly's just written a book, hasn't she? She's just released Yeah, so RuPaul's got, you know, various bits and bobs. But yeah, Dolly has just got a very bestseller out. And also she's got a literacy programme. You know, It's amazing. Her literacy programme is incredible. And it's just like, again, her background, his background are... Obviously, they're Americans. It's completely different. But they understand when you come from note, as we say... In the Midlands, if you've come from nothing, one, you feel like really grateful, really grateful. You know, I feel so bloody privileged. But at the same time, you sort of get that it's not, it's the opposite of that posh boy entitlement that we've seen a lot of recently. Mm -hmm. That, you know, I I mean, I've been so angered by the news um, for two years on a regular basis. I've had to stop watching it, but you know, on Twitter and that, you can't be immune to it. And also, you know, I was a journalist, so I feel, you know, it sort of informs my writing really. I spent a lot of time raging, absolutely raging. And it's, you know, anybody who's come from nothing tends to treat people a bit better. Oh, absolutely. Experience. It's not just an opinion, but when you've heard of all the news of all these people partying, when my friends lost their mums and dads, yeah. when people I taught in the community were dying, because I one of the things I used to do, and all that's been cancelled since COVID, is work with the most vulnerable older people. So they've got so many comorbidities, you know, they'd be overweight, they'd smoke. Yeah. 
because of all of that, they probably have mental health issues. Um, lots of Jamaican guys wouldn't have the vaccine when it started coming out. Don't ask me why. I mean, if, you know, so different communities yeah. and, you know, in Islington, where I'm, I work now, it's like I, I, I was like, dreading the news of yet another one had died. And these were the people I did Zoom classes. I did bits on YouTube. I did bits on Instagram. They couldn't get that. So yeah. I was putting all this free stuff out, but they've not got a connection. They've not got the... They can the access that. I've got a 96-year-old. How's he going to... I mean, I'm not saying every 96-year-old's yeah. like that, but he's not going to get that set up and, and do the class. That's that, that was the hardest bit of COVID, I know, for my grandparents. You know, it's... For our generation, it was tough, but we can use all of those facilities to keep in touch with people and video call and do you know, Zoom quiz nights and... They don't have that. And I do love the fact with, with Dolly, she is so aware of children out there who grow up yeah. with, with nothing and providing them with stories. I mean, when I grew up, books were my escape from yeah, my childhood. Libraries just kept me going. Yeah. I'd read everything we had in the caravan, including all, all the adult stuff that I shouldn't have been reading, really. So my mum really wasn't a great reader because they're a travelling background. She didn't really go to school a lot. And my dad had to leave school at 13 to earn a living because his mum was a widow, but he was more of a reader. So I'd be reading like The Carpet Baggers and Paddington. Uh, you know, it's like a really weird, you know, some really raunchy stuff. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then one of the one of the jobs we had was cleaning the family planning clinic. So I used to read all oh, the leaflets <laughs> and then go to the library and, and read age appropriate stuff. Yes. So um yeah, I mean reading was I, I don't know, I think both my mum and dad, because they'd not really had a great education, were really keen for me to have a good education. Yeah. And I can remember the thrill of writing when I was very, very young. So I could write my name before I went to school. I can remember playing with letters and getting my auntie Zeta's name and feeling like I'd won the lottery because it's like, do, they must have been mad. Does this spell something? Does this spell something? Does this spell something, you know? And I'd read serial packets, I'd read everything. And when I went to school, the very first poem I wrote about psychedelic Cecil, the snail, illustrated with big eyelashes, went on the wall. And it was like, again, I've won the lottery. I've got something on the wall. I love that. You know, so even as a, a, a real little kid, I was like writing stories and poems. And then a bit later on, I think the teachers must have been exasperated. You know, they give you your homework and kids are giving like one page essay and I'd come with 30 pages. And oh, you know, I just <laughs> loved writing. I love it. And do you know what? I've got a book, actually. My little boy has a, a book about RuPaul. There's a series called um, Little People, Big Dreams. And he's got the RuPaul one, which I just absolutely love. And hearing his background and his story as well and what he's achieved for the community as well is incredible I think you four the guests you have so far although you're from very different backgrounds I think you'd all be able to relate to each other yeah and and it's I don't know you know it's like people I love yeah it's that that's the thing it's like it sounds daft but I absolutely love Dolly, I absolutely love RuPaul, I absolutely love Douglas Stewart. Now I'd be really shy saying that to their face, but there's something about 
when you read about somebody's life that you feel you can say that because it's a bit of your soul yeah. I think, mystical it's like it's not just words it's trying to encapsulate your experience and share it so oh, I love it. Do you have anyone else who's coming or have you left it at these, these three? Well, I, I would like, you know, sort of um, Bette Midler, uh, just because I think at the end of the evening, people who are drinking could lead us in song. Oh, that's true. Oh, that's true. Yeah. You're thinking about entertainment. So one of the, the books I've reread is, is sort of a visual book. Like I became obsessed with Bette Midler and David Bowie when I was a teenager. And there were some horrible times as a teenager and there was just something about her. And um, she just seems a laugh. Oh, uh, she does. She really music. does. I, I've never heard Bette and Dolly do a duet and I just think it would be marvellous. And again, she's been such a, you, you know, uh, icon of the gay community. And I just think it would be lovely. I think my Jeff as well, if he could have a night off and come, he's like, he's like one of these very blokey blokes who is the cuddliest person in the world. And he'd love all of those people. Oh, he, I love that. He come, it's not on Instagram or anything, but he's on Twitter. And he's a gamer, so he's like when I'm writing, he's he's like playing. Oh, games. but it's like he feel he feels very shy and privileged to know writers, um, and you know the people who he's read and perhaps reply. He I can remember he was shamed in my local bookshop once, and that's no longer existing because he wanted some sci-fi. It's like Doris Lessing wrote sci-fi, for God's sake. Oh, sci-fi is... wrote sci-fi. Why, why do people look down on romance novels and sci-fi? And, you know, it was only Game of Thrones that sort oh of... Oh, my God, literally. ...fantasy yeah. into a different thing. It's like, it's just taste. It's whatever you, whatever you read. And they were so snotty with him. I was really angry with them. Anyway, it's, it's Waterstones now and... You know, I love them and they've been lovely and supportive to me. So it's like, why shame him? So I would like my Jeff to come and also because we very rarely go out. Make um, the most of it. Yeah, if you don't get to go out. Birthday um, in March and he had COVID just before it and his 50th birthday was spent asleep in bed at 6.30 at night with me watching Bridgerton in the hotel. So that oh. was a bit of a washout. So I would like him to come to this do because neither of us had very good birthdays. I lost my voice and got a virus, not the virus, although it might be the virus, but it didn't test positive. And after two years of thinking more or less every day, I'm going to die, I'm going to die, I'm going to die, because that's what the doctor said. Um, you know, hopefully now touch wood coming out the other side, fingers crossed. Jeff got it. And as far as I know, I didn't. So touch wood. May the force be with us all. Absolutely. OK, so we've got a nice gathering. I'm liking the vibes. This feels very relaxed. We've got nice conversation. Is there anybody you really don't want to show up? Any Tory bastard, any racist bastard, any homophobic bastard. Excuse my language, but I don't want to be near them. If that's a prejudice, it's a prejudice based on what I've experienced personally. Mm -hmm. And they are scum as far, far as I, I'm concerned. What they have done is appalling. Yeah. You know, I mean, this just this week, it's like you parted. People had to clear up your vomit. That's what they think of this country. 
So yeah, I'm Is very clear about people who will not get an invite. And, you know, I have had friends who have voted Tory in the past, but people who vote Tory now, I'm sorry, you deserve them. I was having a conversation with my little girl and she's only five. And she was asking me who runs our country. And I was trying to find a way to explain that. And I said, well, I said, we have a, we have a prime minister. I said, but I said, when, when we were in lockdown, I yeah. said, when the naughty bug, as we call it in our house, when the naughty bug was around, I said, he yeah. was having parties. And my little five-year-old was like, but I couldn't see wrong. any of my friends. I said, that's wrong. disgusting. Wrong. Yeah, and I thought if a five-year-old gets it. Wrong. So I know that's not a popular opinion. Um, but it, it just feels like I haven't got, I've had arguments with people who were anti-vaxxers, for instance, in my gym, when I'm in a mask saying, you could kill me with this yeah. attitude. You're supposed to be my friend. You could kill me by not getting vaccinated and by breathing all over me. And I've sort of been worn down by it. So I think the easiest thing of anybody like that who's got a diametric opposite view it's like, I just want to light off. <laughs> yeah, I just don't want to deal with you. I don't want to have to face. scream into the void. I can't, I can't persuade you of the wrongness because you have no empathy. You know, you, you have treated people really badly. I don't want you to spout vileness to my gay friends. Thank you. No, absolutely I not. I don't want you to. So one of my names is Eresi which so my godfather was Ghanaian. And again, he had horrendous, you know, because there weren't any black people no, in the small town where I, where I grew up. He was a professor. His wife, um, so it's an interracial marriage that so they got, you know, uh, had to leave South Africa for obvious reasons. He was a professor and people would treat him like rubbish because of the color of his skin. And, and you know, it was like another reason I was bullied because, you know, I'd got a black name, came from a caravan. It's like, you know, I've had it. I don't want to be around those people. No. It makes me feel like I need a shower afterwards. And I tell you what, with Dolly, Rue, you know, we wouldn't have any problems either. If someone was to show up, I think they'd leave pretty, pretty swiftly. I think there are people who just do not tolerate <laughs> any of that. No, There's no time for it. I'm, I'm getting more bullshit. Well, you know, I've always been bullshit. But it's just like, I just don't, you know, it's like the shutters come down. I've spent decades trying to persuade people. Yeah. Trying to educate. That sounds, that sounds a bit grand. But for instance, my dad at one point said he didn't know any gay people. He actually said that to me. I just don't be so daft. Him, him, her, her, her. People I know, you know, because it was just like, small town he worked with larry grayson who was on the generation game many years yep. ago he was like oh very camp it's like larry grayson's gay he's also camp it doesn't always go together but of course he's gay dad yeah you i know. think it's really i also came from a very very small town um and i've always identified as bisexual i always have i'm married to a man um I'm to man, but i've gone both ways both yeah same here it's like my agent many years ago not my literary agent when I was on telly said the difference of gay straight and bi is about four lagers I'm <laughs> I'm with him it's like it's not a big deal no. for me in in expression it's a continuum it's the person you know it's like Shits Creek said it it's it's a it's not the label it's the wine it's just 
it's not a big deal it doesn't have exactly. to be a big deal get over yourself and I hope you know I have two very small children we're very open we have gay friends who are raising children you know we have straight friends who are raising children um and my children don't think twice about their friends who have got two mums or two dads and I remember my little girl saying to me we've got some really good friends who are a female couple they've got two beautiful children and I remember her saying to me she's still oh, he's got two mummies and I was like yeah and she was like yeah. that'd be nice wouldn't it <laughs> You see, that's the thing. I, I honestly don't think kids are born racist or homophobic or anything, really. They might learn that and pick up from it from older people. Yeah. I just, I can't, you know, I just think I'm happier and I feel a bit more optimistic when I look at kids. I went to do a school assembly this week, oh, wow. dressed as a bee, as you do. Obviously. Uh, you know, and they wanted, you know, because I've done various jobs and it was like, you can be anything. You can be who you want to be. You know, I'm a writer, but I do keep fit. I've worked in a biscuit factory. I've been a cleaner. You know, I was on the telly, I was on radio, you know, and, and I was telling them all that sort of thing. And they were lovely and I felt quite optimistic with the primary kids. Yeah, so, I really hope, I really hope, just looking at the, the small, you know, I come from, I live in Devon now, I'm from Dorset originally, um, and Devon as a whole has not always been known for being the most diverse and inclusive county in the country. But having just looked at the small pool of my children's little friends and the groups that they're in, it's so diverse. When I went to school, there wasn't a, there, you know, I think there was one mixed race child in my entire school. And now my kids are, you know, they're learning about different cultures and they've got kids in their class who English is not their first language. And my little girl understands that. And she thinks that's fascinating. She thinks that's so interesting. I do. I do love it. It's like one of the reasons I always wanted to live in London because it was like cosmopolitan. And, and obviously that that was like, you know, then I just thought all oh, London the streets are paved with gold. But it does feel like my home now. And it is, it is really. Uh, but it, it, I'm not saying that against small towns, because as you say, it's changing everywhere now. There's a lot more mobility. I mean, I want to go and live by the sea at some stage, and I will have to move from London for that. Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't know if that will happen. But yeah, I'm just, I think it's also two years and like I'm desperate to see. If you ever want to come and just have a look at places, come hit me up down in Torbay. Oh, lovely, lovely, I will. <laughs> Come down to Torquay. But thank you. This has been such an interesting evening. I've loved being able to chat with you about your reasons for having people, and your reasons for not having people are completely valid. I 100% agree. And before I let you go and spend the evening with your with your cats, <laughs> are you? Do you have a current read at the moment? Are you reading anything? I do my book, my book. I'm not. I've read them. So the one I read last. He's uh, one of my colleagues, no secrets, and that's a classic crime. So Dave Jackson's like a really nice bloke. He's one of the vipers, and he was one of the first people to like follow me on Twitter. Mm -hmm. And I only discovered last week that I'd met him before. Oh. How embarrassing is that? And it was like I went to the viper launch when the imprint launched. Yeah. I was so nervous, and I was also dressed as Medusa. Of course. Um, <laughs> I remember seeing pictures of that. Yeah, and, and I just blanked it out that I'd met him. But, you know, so No Secrets is a, is a classic crime. He's like, you know, I've read like three or four of his and it's like, great. 
at my event, I got this. Caroline Ooh. England uh, was on the sort of hosting my panel, and we were talking about domestic noir, which is sort of what I fall into, you know, dark psychological yep. thrillers. And this is about a vicar's wife who has an affair. And I'm Ooh. halfway through that. And very unusually, I've got another book on the go because I can only read this in daylight. So this is Shirley Jackson's The Haunting of Hill House. I and have that I watched, to read. I, I haven't read any of hers. The show, it's very different from the telly show. The telly show, I almost wet myself because I jumped. And I've got extraordinary pelvic floor control because I teach Pilates. But literally, I, I elevated, levitated from, you know, the sofa. I screamed so loud that Jeff also nearly wet himself. <laughs> And then the next one is that it came in the post yesterday. And this is another one of my friends from Viper who I've met a couple of times, Guy Morpus. And it's not the sort of thing I've read in the past. And he's speculative crime. His first one was um, in the future, we have to share bodies. Well, I've shared quite a few. But you know what I mean? Like consciousness. So there's five consciousnesses in one body. And one of them's a murderer. And that literally, me and my husband, like, buddy read it. First one we've ever done, really. And it was just like that, just just that that idea. And in this one, allegedly, there's um, uh, an octopus. And I love octopus. I just think, because they're emotional. I love all animals. So I want to, you know, in a different life, I'm a zookeeper. Oh, I love that. I'm going to absolutely check out his, but that sounds so intriguing. But this one's not that. This one's got, um, it's a killer who can turn back time for a certain amount of time. I think it's six hours and then investigate. So it's just like, it's it's really clever. Wow. It makes you wonder how people's brains work, doesn't it? How people, I'm just reading... um, Sea of Tranquility, I've just finished. What's that? Um, it's a, a sort of a time traveling. Ooh. It's time. I've never read anything like it. It's time travel, but it's all interwoven with like moon colonies. And when I first saw the Ooh. thing, I thought, oh, I'm not going to be able to deal with this. My brain's going to explode. But it's so cleverly written and it's so beautiful and moving. And there was so much I didn't see coming. So I'm, I love when people think up these huge ideas and you think, how do they think of this? Well, it's like Janice Hallett, who's got the brain the size of the planet, you know, the appeal. And I've not read the Twyford Code yet. I felt embarrassed reading it because even reading it, I really had to concentrate. Um, it's it's not, you know, it's not overcomplicated. It's just like, I've oh, read the appeal. Yeah. yeah. And the way it's written is, is I've never it's read anything just, like it. I've never read anything like it because it's all sort of texts and things. Uh, but I've never, I've not got that background. So I've not read Sherlock Holmes. I've not read Agatha Christie. I'm not a whodunit person. And I write why people do it, really. So you know uh, what's happened and then why yeah, this happened. Sort of yeah, it's much more psychological. And, and again, that's just how I feel. And much more emotional. The, the nuts and bolts of a, you know, really clever closed room mystery, which I know, now know is a thing. I've never really got my brain round. No, I'm not I know. like that if you paid me a million pounds. It's just not, I, I don't think I've got, my brain doesn't work like that. I'm not a linear writer either, but anyway. Oh. I love re- reading just different things. And on the non-crime thing, I couldn't find the book to show, Still Life, the one which is like about 
Florence. Uh, and oh, my friend adored that. That I've not read I, it, but my friend just fell in love with it. it. And of course, I've forgotten the author's name, but still life in, in the beautiful cover. It was a Waterstones book of the month. It's that stunning. was one of the, the recent literary ones. And Young Mungo, I cried so much. I, I'm a real crier reading. I think this was one of the reasons I strained my voice. Oh. So I think I gave myself laryngitis crying so hard. Uh, it's a total ear wetter. So that's when you're lying in bed and you're crying. Oh. So tears go in your ears. Have you read uh, Betty by Tiffany McDaniel? No. Oh, that was the last one. I don't very often cry it. It's on my to be read. I sobbed and I don't cry. I don't cry at books very often, but I was sobbing at that. Oh, I've got that. That's definitely on my um, paperback though. I wait, uh, that's another confession. I very, very rarely buy hardbacks because I can't make myself. It's really, you know, I've never, you know, it's, it's years and years of, of not being able to afford yeah. it. Now I can. It's like, it's weird. But also the thing they don't tell you is that people send you books. Yeah. <laughs> it's Who great, knew? isn't it? <laughs> Who knew? And, you know, it's, it's just, that's been a revelation. But then I feel guilty because I'm not supporting my local Waterstones. My local Waterstones is literally on my road. It's like yards away. So you can imagine how dangerous that is. Oh, I'm really glad I have to drive to mine because yeah. I mean, my pre-orders alone are an issue. <laughs> yes. And you know, pre-orders are great for authors. You know, there's all these things that, I mean, I did an MA in novel writing. All the stuff I didn't realise all the silly videos I do on TikTok and Instagram and that, I can remember them coming, these young adult writers and saying, oh, you'll have to do unboxing videos. And I just says, don't be daft, that's not a thing. Nobody will watch you opening your books. And now, of course, I've learned the error of my ways. And that again got me through lockdown, doing stupid videos. You know, my husband pushing me around in a shopping trolley. I mean, you know, that's how we spent our Sunday mornings. I think that's that sounds like a wholesome activity for the two of you. Awesome. <laughs> it is. I'm trying to find for when the paperback of Nasty Little Cuts come out, a local supermarket, because it was in te I was lucky I got my book in Tesco's and Asda. They'll let me go on the actual conveyor belt <laughs> with my book to go through. <laughs> oh, they must do, surely. Someone surely like they must do, because my local one had stopped doing books and it was in the middle of lockdown and, and they wouldn't let me do it anyway. I says, can I lie on your, can I lie on you, on your till thing and go past like that? And they just said, no, are you insane? So I've got to find somebody who'll let me do that. I'll and put that not, as a shout out on my thing. Yeah, please do. It's not a weight thing because I've seen people with barbecues have whole, you know, sort of 18 packs of beer and stuff like that. So I just need a Tesco somewhere that will let me do that. Well, on that on that note, <laughs> and, and pleading for someone to let you ride the conveyor belt, this has yeah, been at so a much fun. At a till. Barcoded. Bar yeah, you need to be scanned as you go through and end up in the packaging bit. Yeah. Someone must do that. We'll, we'll find a way. But this has been honestly the most fun and also really insightful. And thank you so, so much. I have loved it. We're going to meet in real life. I can't wait. I can't wait. I must even have this frock on. I don't know yet. Well, then I'll know who you are then. <laughs> I'm sure I recognise you anyway, I think. Yeah. 
It's been lovely talking to you, Danny. Lots of love to your little ones. Thank I you feel very much. hugely uh, encouraged, actually, by the new generation, thanks to people like you. So thank, thank you. you very much. Thank you. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You, too, could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner.